podcast land. You have set your dial once again to Combat Sports with Rhino, your first, best, and only all-encompassing combat sports podcast, episode 75. Woo! Woo! 75, yay! Our special guest joining me later on this episode is going to be none other than Kenny Kenflo Florian. We might know him from his long tenure as a UFC, top-tier UFC fighter, I should say, his time on the Tough House. Maybe you know him as the host of BattleBots. Uh, he's the host, co-host of the PFL on commentary team now. He's all over the place. He is the man. I love talking to him. It's one of my favorite interviews we've ever done, so stay tuned for that. So, of course, we're going to have our full UFC 262 breakdown from last night. Drea's world-famous drop of the night of course, our main card picks for UFC Vegas 27. Twitter and voice questions with the aforementioned Rhino Gang, Gang Gang. Then, like I said, Kenny Florian joins us for 10 rounds of Rhino. It is so fun. I really hope you guys check it out. So, without further ado, let's get our swim trunks and our flippy floppies on and dive right in. So UFC 262 uh, from Houston, Texas last night. Our first prelim was in the 155-pound division. We had Christos Giagos versus Sean Soriano making his long return from the last time uh, he, he fought in the UFC. So this one was two chapters of the same book, right? Sean Soriano was getting the better of Christos in the first round. He was moving really, really well. You know, they said he's a great striker. Um, he is Kamaru Usman's striking coach. So you expect him to be really well-versed on his feet. He did a great job in the first round. In the second, Christos took him down, uh, got into a beautiful Dars position, choked Sean Soriano clean out. Second round submission for Christos Giagos. And wow, great win, fun finish, awesome fight. Moving into the 145-pound division, we had newcomer Tucker Lutz. We've seen him twice on the Contender Series, but this is his first UFC fight versus longtime vet Kevin Aguilar coming off of three losses in a row. This one was an uh, interesting fight. Tucker Lutz, they talked about it a lot on commentary, looked so calm on his feet. He was just touching Kevin in the face. Kevin was kind of blitzing forward, but... You know, Tucker was kind of staying in the pocket, uh, hitting him with beautiful left hook. That left hook seemed to be on call all night. Uh, again, this one was an interesting fight. I enjoyed it. It was pretty fast-paced. Kevin came on pretty well in the third, but I gave the first two clearly to Tucker Lutz. He hurt Kevin with that left hook a lot of times. Yeah, clear-cut unanimous decision for Tucker Lutz. Uh, the tough kid out of Baltimore over Kevin Aguilar. Moving into 125-pound division, we had the Priscilla Cachoeira versus Gina Mazzani. Um yeah, early early I gave it to Gina. Obviously she she put she put Cachoeira up against the fence. Didn't really do a whole lot of damage, but had a lot of control. And then in the second round, Mazzani got on top again, was really just kind of laying and praying for lack of a better term. She wasn't really doing much to advance. Bergliata stood him up. Priscilla Cachoeira just unloaded. Mazzani was clearly tired. Uh, Priscilla just hit her with a couple of really nice shots, put her back into the cage, hit her a couple more times. Was it Mergliata? I think it was Mergliata. Anyway, the official stood him up, and then Priscilla went off, put Gina back into the cage. She was clearly exhausted, bloodied up her nose, had already bloodied her from the bottom with an elbow, uh, really unloaded, stopped the fight. Gina was out. I mean, on her feet, but she was out of the fight. Priscilla gets the second round TKO. I picked that one, and I know most people didn't, so I was feeling a little smug when I saw that one go down. <laughs> All right, moving. Well, staying at 125 pounds, we had Antonina Shevchenko versus Andrea KGB Lee. Um, 
Antonio Shevchenko's had a real up and down MMA career. You want to talk about top tier Muay Thai fighter, world champion? Fantastic. There seems to be a disconnect whenever she gets to the ground. She has a very hard time dealing with the ground fighters, which is why I'm so surprised she is uh, in the UFC, to be honest with you. So, Andrew KGB Lee, another longtime veteran. Um, you know, Andrew, Antonio was doing a good job in the clinch in the first round when they were. Uh, when they were clinched up, she got her in the she got Andrea in the plum several times. Landed some nice body shots with the knee, uh, some nice punches. But Andrea Lee was kind of getting the better of her. I thought it was close in the first round, and then in the second, Andrea Lee took her down, put her in the, like the longest triangle I think I've perhaps ever seen. Could not finish the fight. Antonio did a good job of not getting submitted for a long time. However. Right before, I think it was like eight seconds left in the second round, Andrea Lee finally switched to an arm bar, kind of a, you know, an off angle arm bar. Antonia's arm went all the way backwards. Gross. Big win via submission for Andrea KGB Lee in the second over Antonina Shevchenko, Bullet's sister, as she's more commonly known. <laughs> but big win for KGB Lee. Moving into 185 pound, we had Jordan Wright versus Jamie Pickett. Jordan Wright, also known as the Beverly Hills Ninja, one of my favorite nicknames. Um, if you look at Jordan Wright, now keep in mind, I'm not saying this to be disparaging. I like Jordan Wright, and they can only give him who they give him in his previous fights. If you look at the combined record of the guys that he has fought before getting in the UFC, really bad. <laughs> if you go back and look. So it was hard to tell exactly what we we're going to see from Jordan Wright going against a tough Jamie Pickett. This one was Jamie kind of pushed forward real fast, got Jordan up against the cage. Jordan landed a slew of beautiful elbows to the side of Jamie's head, which clearly was the start of the finishing sequence. Jamie went down. Um, you know, Jordan hit him with a few more shots. Jamie got up. Uh, Jordan closed the distance, hit him with a couple more shots, kind of put uh, Jamie on the ground, and then he finished him with some ground and pound, but it was the uppercut that kind of led to the finishing sequence of the of the GNP. Another quick win, first round for Jordan Wright. The Beverly Hills Ninja gets the win over Jamie Pickett in the first round. TKO. All right, moving into another 45-pound division. We had Groovy Lando Van Atta versus Mike Grundy. We talked about this a little bit last week. I thought the move down to 145 was going to be a great move for Lando. Mike Grundy had his moments. He hit Lando with a couple of nice big overhand rights, had a few takedowns. Um, but overall, it was really Lando's movement. It was his quick shots. It was him staying out of the way. They gave it a split decision. I can't believe one of the judges gave it to Mike Grundy, 30-27. What the fuck, dude? I thought Lando clearly won two, if not all three rounds, which is one of the judges had it for him as well. Lando Van Atta with his striking, like I said, it, it just it was cleaner. It was more effective. His movement was great. Mike Grundy did a good job of staying in, but this was Lando's fight for sure. Oh, moving into the, oh, man, this was the arm breaker of the night. <laughs> we had Jacare Souza versus Andre Muniz. Um, yeah, Jacare came in. He looked hard. He looked pissed. He looked ready to fight. He was moving forward. He took Andre down. Uh, he landed some ground and pound from standing, but then Andre took Jacare down, got him into an arm bar. Oh, brutally broke Jacare's arm. You actually heard it audibly pop and break. Brutal, brutal fucking armbar submission for Andre. Yeah. Poor Jacare, man. He's like, we're like the same age. He's been around forever. They said he had his first pro fight in 03. With a break like that at his age, I, I, I got to think that's probably it for Jacare. I mean, maybe after a year, he can heal up and do some grappling or something, but bro, that was brutal to watch. So, 
Let's go ahead and get our main card. Our first fight was my favorite fight of the night. Everyone knew this had all the recipe and potential for violence. Edson Barbosa versus Shane Burgos. I mean, it was almost like a blur, dude. The, the leg kicks early obviously hurt Shane, but Shane kept hanging in there with punches, throwing nice combinations. He started getting out of the way of some of those uh, leg kicks. Um, it was just some beautiful exchanges. Round three, both guys seemed to finally start to tire down a little bit. They got a little bit slower. There was a little bit less volume being thrown by both dudes. And then Edson Barbosa hits a beautiful overhand right on Shane Burgos. Burgos stopped, took a few steps, you know what I mean? Kind of looking normal and then began to like slowly fade, right? Like when you turn off a faucet, how it slowly stops dripping. And Shane Burgos falls back into the cage, goes down. Edson hits him with a couple more shots. That's it for the fight. TKO in the third. I don't know what else to say other than it was a legit Delayed reaction. I mean, he got hit. It took him a couple seconds. Then it kind of all came on. Shane faded back to the fence. That was real, man. That was no, I mean, I only saw a couple things. People talking shit about, oh, that was fake. He was just tired or whatever. No, dude, that was legit. I absolutely believe it. Great win for Edson Barbosa. Beautiful, fantastic fight from both guys. Loved it. All right, moving at 125 pounds, we had Vivian Arujo versus Caitlin Chukagian, who had a very, um, high amount of searches on her Twitter page this week. <laughs> so for me, dude, getting into the fight, I thought clearly Vivian was outstriking Caitlin in the first round. In the second, Vivian had the beautiful takedown. She got top position. Um, you know, she didn't do a whole lot when she was on there, but she tried the, you know, she got the full mount for a little bit in the third round. Caitlin really poured it on. She had much more uh, strikes. She was landing straight shots, a couple of nice kicks. Caitlin Chukagian clearly won the third to me, but for me, dude, I gave the first and the second to Vivian. The judges did not see it that way. They gave Caitlin Chukagian the uh, unanimous decision. Um, again, I mean, it was close enough where I'm not saying it's a robbery, but for me, again, I had Vivian rounds one and two, but no, you know, taking nothing away from Caitlin, she fought a good fight as well. So again, unanimous decision for Caitlin Chukagian in that one. Moving it to 135 pounds, we had Matt Danger Schnell. Danger, danger! High voltage versus Rogerio Bontorin. Not the most exciting fight in the world. They both were looking pretty, let's just say conservative uh, in there. They both didn't want to get hurt. Um, they both seem to be fighting kind of not scared, but very, you know, defense heavy. Rogerio Bontorin landed 89 strikes just to, to match Schnell's 113, but Rogerio seemed to have more effect. I thought they hurt Danger more. Danger, again, landed more, but they didn't seem to be as effective. Not not the most exciting fight in the world. Clear cut, you name it, decision for Rogerio Bontorin, even though I was rooting for Matt Danger Schnell because ever since Fightville, I've been a fan of this dude, but I think they'll both be back, right? All right, moving into the co-main event. We have Benil Darius versus Tony Ferguson. I don't want to get too deep into all the details of the fight. Benil was just better than Tony everywhere, dude. I know people were pissed. They didn't engage a whole lot, and I know Tony only landed like 37 strikes in a 15-minute fight. But Benil was just better. He had the better striking. He, he all landed Tony like times two. He kept his distance better. He kept the timing. He kept the pace. He was in charge. He had the three takedowns, which kept Tony guessing. Clear-cut, unanimous decision for Benil Dardiush. I thought he was going to win by stoppage. Didn't go that way, but Benil still gets the win. All right, moving into our championship fight. We had Charles Dubronx Oliveira versus Michael Chandler. Again, this happened two or three times last night's card. I, I really, two different chapters of the same book. First round, Michael Chandler came out hard, was really pressing the action. Hurt Charles Oliveira, I think at least twice, right? Put him down once. 
Michael Chandler had the clear advantage going into round two. In the second round, they come out and meet right in the center. Michael Chandler throws a shot. Charles Dubronx throws a right, misses, left hook, hits Chandler cleanly on the chin, knocks him on his ass, but he's still there. He very quickly spins around, gets up against the cage. Charles pounces on him, right? Dubronx style. He's landing some more while they're clinched up. Chandler gets away. As he's running away, Charles runs after him, cuts him off, hits him with another left hook, which drops him. A couple more shots, ground and pound. We've got ourselves a brand new champion at 155 pounds, Charles Dubronx Oliveira, TKO the second. Gosh, that was beautiful. I loved everything about it. I'm a huge Dubronx fan. I picked it last week. I thought it was going to be a submission. <laughs> Boy, was I wrong. But, man, the right guy won as far as, you know, who I was a fan of. Big, big, big win for Charles Dubronx. Congratulations to him. Chandler's got to go back to the drawing board. And yeah, so that is our recap of UFC 262. D Reigns, why don't we go ahead and get Dre on the line and get her world famous drop of the night? Already out there, fight fam. Let's go ahead and get into our world famous Dre's drop of the night. Drea, there were several to choose from last night. What did you land on for your world famous Dre's drop of the night? Well, as much as I really want to give my Drea's drop of the night to DeBronx for that beautiful finish over Michael Chandler, I just can't. My drop of the night is coming from Edson Barbosa versus Shane Burgos. In round three of the fight, Barbosa catches Burgos with this jab right hook that just didn't look like it did much at first until we saw a delayed reaction and Burgos began to lose his footing and stumble backwards, falling against the cage where Barbosa then flew in, landed a couple more shots on the ground before the ref saw that Burgos was out. That was a very nice, rare type of KO that we just don't yeah. see very often. So my Dre's drop of the night goes to Edson Barboza. And a fantastic drop. It was indeed. All right, let's get into our UFC Vegas 27 picks. I'll go ahead and lead us off. You know I can't stand Big Ben Rothwell. So no matter who he's fighting, no matter where it is, I'm picking the opponent. I've got Chris Barnett, who I know absolutely nothing about. <laughs> I've got Chris Barnett winning by a third-round TKO. I think I know who you're picking on this one. Who you got, Drea? I'm sorry, but I am going with Ben Rothwell, and I'm doing a round two KO for Ben Roth. All right, let's get into our next one. We got Felicia Spencer versus Norma Dumont. I've got Felicia Spencer winning by a clear cut unanimous decision in this one. Drea, what's your call? I am going Felicia Spencer as well, but I am going a round two sub for Felicia Spencer. All righty, we got Jan Shonan against Carla Esparza. I'm going with Jan by TKO in the second. I'm calling my shot. It's going to be a inside elbow from the clinch that's going to start it. She's going to then take her down, and Yan is going to win via TKO in the second. What's your call? And that's my feature player, Drea. I am taking Yan as well, but I am just going with the unanimous decision over Carla Esparza. Jan Shonan and Carla Esparza. All right, we got our pick for that one. Then we've got, I've got Jack Hermanson, the Joker. Versus Edmund Shabazian. I've got TKO in the third for Joker Jack. What's your call on this one? I'm going Joker Jack as well, but I'm going unanimous decision. All righty. And then our main event for the evening, we got Rob Font from New England. Rob Font versus Cody Nolov. God, Brett. I've got Rob Font winning by KO. Clean as a whistle KO with a left hook in the fourth round. What about you? 
I am going the opposite of you, Cody Garbrandt, with a clean KO in round three. Opposites for the old Rhino gang. Yes. (laughs) All right, let's get into our Twitter questions. I know our first one comes from our dear friend, the Rage of Sweet Potato from up in Canada, RSP. What do you got this week, dude? Last night at UFC 262, we saw two examples of the opposite sides of the same coin. Charles Oliveira showed that happens when ability and confidence align. Tony Ferguson was the perfect example of what happens when your confidence far outweighs your ability. He's now been Tyron Woodley, three fights in a row by fighters with completely different styles, hasn't beaten legitimate competition in four years and is likely on the chopping block in this cost-cutting era of the UFC. So my question is this, is the UFC better off cutting him now before he becomes the new BJ Penn, likely saying more and more crazy shit as he spirals downward? Or do they give El Kukui the one last chance to go out on a win? P.S. After those last three fights, I think it is now abundantly clear that Khabib would have absolutely mauled Tony. 1,000% Khabib would have mauled Tony if they were going to fight, but I'm glad they didn't. So I think Tony is definitely coming back, dude. I don't think the UFC is going to cut him. Um, Yeah, I just don't see that happening. I think he's going to come back for at least one more, if not two or three more, dude. For all of the things that you're absolutely right about him that are negative, you could say, the the last few fights he has not looked good at all. but he's still Tony Ferguson. He's still a big name. He still has what we would call star power, I guess, uh, in a time in the UFC where there's like a real lack of star power. You never know what he's going to do, say. And so that makes him intriguing to a lot of people. So he does have a big fan base. I don't think they're going to cut him. I don't think he is um, ever going to you know, fight for a championship again. I don't think we're going to ever see the form that he was of like five years ago, right, when he was one of the greatest 155ers on the planet. Um, but I do think we will see him again. You know, I got a question about who we, that might be later on in the uh, voice question, so stay tuned for that one. But, yeah, RSP, I do think we're going to see Tony coming back. And you're right, there is a possibility that he may have that BJ Penn type of spiral downwards, but I sure hope not, man. So thank you very much, our brother from up in Canada. All right, our next one comes from Ty Fly Guy. What do you got this week, Ty? What does the UFC do with Chukagian, and is she close to fighting for the belt again? So I say give Caitlin the winner of JoJo Calderwood and Lauren Murphy, dude, and then let the winner of that get the shot at Shevchenko. It's kind of funny. It's like we all know how great Bullet Shevchenko is, especially at 125 and how I don't see anybody beating her. But we still need the divisions to move forward, right? We still need people to be vying for the number one position, to have the title fights, to keep this going. And you never know. I, I kind of think back to... For a long time, Matt Hughes was the men's 170 welterweight champion, right? He just seemed like an insurmountable obstacle. And that's kind of what um, Valentina is at 125. She seems to be this insurmountable obstacle. Anderson Silva was at 185, right? There's always those champions who are like, gosh, I don't know if they're ever going to win. But somebody always does, right? And they eventually they will get knocked off their throne. I don't see any of the ladies at 125 right now beating Valentina, but they could. Uh, you know, you never know. That you, that, that could definitely happen. Does Chukagian have the best chance amongst all of them? No, I don't think so. But just the way things are in the standings, the way that um, things are set up right now, I think she should fight the winner of Lauren Murphy and JoJo Calderwood, which I think is going to be JoJo. And then the winner of that, which could be Caitlin or could be JoJo, I, th- I would lean towards JoJo in that one, should get the next shot at 
uh, Valentina. So that's my answer on that one. Thank you very much, Ty. And Champ joined the conversation with, uh, with that one right there. I heard him wailing <laughs> in the background. I heard your dog a little bit earlier, too. Um, oh, yeah. She's always yeah, and we, <laughs> <laughs> So our dogs have joined the CSW conversation for our special episode 75. I know our third one comes from our girl, APB. APB, what do you got? It was so great to see Michael Chandler get his real welcome to the UFC last night. What a great fight. I'm so excited for Oliveira. What do you think is next for Chandler? Also, congrats on 75 episodes. Can't wait to hear the Kinflow interview. Yeah, dude, I'm not sure what's next for Chandler. I think he really needs to sit out for a while and assess. You know what we do? When I read this question, I kind of thought, I was like, you know what would be fucking great? <laughs> I don't think it's going to happen. But you know what would be fucking great is if Dustin starches Connor, right? And then Dustin will go on to fight New Bronx. What if we got a Connor Michael Chandler fight in like six months or about eight months or whatever it is? Oh my I mean, gosh. that would be so much fun. I think Connor be on the downswing. Chandler's kind of on the downswing. He's not proven because he's just got the one, you know, he's from Bellator. I just think that would be a really exciting, fresh, untapped into kind of a fight. Chandler versus Connor, because I guess, again, I think Dustin's going to smash Connor. So let's give Connor <laughs> Chandler and then put it put put to end all of this stuff. Oh my gosh, that'd be so much fun. So that's what I came up with on that one. So great question, APB, my dear friend. And we as we always say when you ask a question, and this is a big shout out to Mama Sita, you can't be a wuss and have a puss. so thank you so much APB Dre you have knocked out your segments out of the park like a true home run hitter that you are thank you so much for your Dre's drop of the night your picks for UFC 27 Vegas 27 and your Twitter question reading thank you so very much and we will holler at you next week All right. see you next week All righty, fight fam let's go ahead and get our voice questions now our first one comes from the OG Jim Asun Jim what do you got this week dude What's going on, you bunch of fucking casuals? Rhino and the Rhino gang, hope you all doing well. That was a really good card. You know, 262 delivered quite well. Um, my question for you is, what do you think is next for Tony? Um, those are three tough losses, man. You know what I mean? Um, I hate seeing all these old guys going with Jacare. Fucking, he's done for sure. Have that arm snap like that. You know what I mean? Diego, Cowboy. You know what I mean? Like like all of them, man. You know what I mean? Fucking Brandon Barron lost his belt this morning there and won championship as well. You know? Anyhow, that's my question for you this week. Keep up the great work. You know we love the fucking show. And you motherfuckers know it's always 420 here. Peace. So I listened to your question, OG, and I thought about it for a while. Here's what I would like to see. And again, every time I make a pick on these questions, it doesn't necessarily mean it makes the most sense. You know what I mean? Rankings wise, everything else. But this is what I want to see and what I think would be a good fight. Let's go Paul the Iris Dragon Felder. They are the same age. So they're both older. I think they're both 37. Long time veterans. Fan favorites. Tony's lost three in a row. Paul has dropped two in a row. They both love the spinning and the creative shit. I love the striking that's, you know, obscure and from some weird angles and whatnot. They've got a million common opponents, but have never fought each other. Let's let's go. They're both top 10, right? Still. Let's go. Paul Felder, Tony Ferguson. Let's see him. Let's give it, you know, give him one big last hurrah. Put him in a co-main event or something like that. I want to see Paul Felder versus Tony Okakui Ferguson. That's my call on that one. 
Thank you so much, Jim. Soon. You're right. It's always 420. <laughs> I can't ever do it. I don't know why I try. All right. Moving into our second question. We've got Juice from the Friendly Sparring Pod. Juice, what do you got for us this week, brother? Hey, what's up, Rhino? It's your boy Juice from the Friendly Sparring Podcast. I'm thinking about the lightweight title picture right now, and it, and it reminds me, at least my sort of what I view the landscape as, it, I'm reminded of what happened when Ronda Rousey lost the title in the women's bantamweight division. You know, sort of like, you know, she was this dominant champion, as was Khabib. And then we, we've, we've thought of as Amanda as this dominant champion for a long time, but the belt changed twice before her. You know, Holly knocked out Ronda, Misha choked out Holly, and then Amanda choked out Misha to, to win the title. So Charles Oliveira, I think, is, is fantastic, and he deserved that win. But I do think Poirier is coming hot on his heels once he knocks out Connor again. So my question is, who do you view as the new Amanda Nunes of the lightweight division, if my analogy makes sense? Get at me. Dude, at this point, I know it could be somewhat recency bias, but I've been a fan forever. I am so all in on the Dew Bronx era, right? I love Dustin Poirier, and I think, again, he's going to beat Connor. Um, But Oliveira is so fucking good right now, dude. It's immeasurable. He's always been great on the ground. He has the most submissions in the history of the UFC, but now his stand-up is looking more crisp than ever. He, I see him winning and defending next three, four, maybe even five times. Of course, there's some killers out there, dude. Justin, of course, Benil's on his way up. Islam Makachev. There's a lot of good guys at 155, but for me, he is the creme de la creme right now. I see him defending several times. We are in the beginning of a long do Bronx era at 155. I'm sticking to it. I believe it. That's my answer on that one. So thank you very much, Juice. If you guys haven't already, of course, check out Juice at the Friendly Sparring Pod with him and Leo. It is awesome. All right, let's get into our third question. Our, another one of our homies from up in Canada way, my boy D-Crons. D-Crons, what do you got this week, dude? Rhino, brother. I hope all is well. Uh, those were a fun night of fights. Uh, the judging was atrocious as per usual i'm so happy for charles that was pretty sweet to see um that uh rumble yoel fight we've been talking about rode off into the sunset god damn uh anyway uh i just was wondering if you could hit me up who are like one two or three of your favorite current active boxers my two favorites are bud crawford and canelo i love those dudes Anyway, happy 75th, Rhino. Love it. You don't look a day over 20. I cannot wait to listen to this show. Let's go, Rhino gang gang. Man, my favorite boxers, it's a really long list, but I'm glad you made me break it down to just three, two or three. Um, just like you, Terrence Crawford is my absolute favorite fighter to watch right now. Has been for a few years. He is the most technical. He's the most crisp. He has that mean streak that I love to see in my boxers. Terrence Bud Crawford is my number one. I love Triple G. I know he's a little bit longer in the tooth now. He's not what he was a few years ago. But for me, I still love watching Triple G fight. I'm a huge Triple G fan. Uh, Alexander Yusk is my other guy I'm going to list for today. He's a heavyweight, but he was a longtime cruiserweight champion. He's kind of a undersized heavyweight. He's about 6'3", but, you know, they've got him at about 215 pounds now. Uh, if he's going to face one of some of the big guys, he's probably going to need to get up to about 230, 235. But right now, Alexander Yusk, 18-0 out of the Ukraine. 
Green, fantastic fighter, really funny guy. So yeah, Terrence Bud Crawford, Triple G, Gennady Golovkin, and Alexander Yus. Those are my three uh, that I enjoy watching the most right now. Big shout out to Tiafimo Lopez. Love watching him. Um, you know, King Ryan, whenever he comes back. But yeah, those are my main three. Thank you very much, D. Kranz. That was a great question, dude. Love interjecting a little boxing when we can. So that's going to do it for our voice questions. Uh, let's go ahead and get to our 10 rounds of Rhino with the man, the myth, the legend, Kenny Kempfel for it after a quick word from our sponsor. Hey, Rhino gang. Are you looking for a piece of furniture to tie the room together? Maybe make it feel a little bit more homey. How about a beautifully restored dresser for the bedroom or an end table for the family room? We'll look no further than my good friends at K&R Designs. You got a piece of furniture that needs restoration? They got you covered. Looking for a new addition to your home decor that's already been beautifully done? They got you there, too. We're talking dressers, armoires, kitchen tables, cabinets, nightstands, any and all wood furniture you can think of, they've got or can get for you. So check out K&R Designs in-store at 101 West Chicago Boulevard in Tecumseh, Michigan, or on their website, kandrcustomdesigns.com. Check out their Facebook page, K&R Home Deco, that's D-E-C-O, to see everything they have and the amazing work that they can do. You can also call and order at 517-605-7173. They accept PayPal, Venmo, Square, Cash, Check. They accept them all. So if you want the absolute best of the best and restorative wood furniture creators, you got to check out K&R Designs. Tell them you're a member of the Rhino Gang, and that'll get you 20% off your very first purchase. Once again, check out K&R Designs, Combat Sports with Rhino's proud sponsor. Everybody out there in podcast land, we've got ourselves a very special guest joining us today. You know him possibly from the being the finalist and tough one. You might know him from his long, outstanding UFC career, his awesome time on UFC Tonight, or many other commentary gigs the man has had, and his current gig at the PFL as a badass commentator. He is the man. We are so glad to have him join us. Kenny Kempfel Florian, thank you so much today, sir. Rhino, you are too kind. Thank you. Oh, you are very welcome, sir. We're so stoked to have you on. So, Kenny, basically with the 10 rounds of Rhino, we love to go kind of in sequential order where we have a kind of some standard questions and we have some fun questions and kind of go all over your career. So, basically, round one is where we start out with the origin story. How did my man Ken Flo first get into the crazy, wacky world of mixed martial arts? <laughs> yeah, you know, I started martial arts as a kid. My, my dad... Um, was a martial artist and kind of wanted us all to learn martial arts. So it was kind of your typical, you know, kid doing karate, kung fu and, and things like that coming up. Um, and then it wasn't until later uh, when the UFC came around where I, it piqued my interest again. Um, I was always fascinated by the martial arts. It always felt like it was some kind of a religious experience. And, um, you know, uh, having the opportunity to train in Brazilian jiu-jitsu again when I was an adult, like, like 19 years old, um, was the best. I was absolutely obsessed with it. Nothing else mattered. It was all I was thinking about. And, um, you know, I, uh, I ended up, you know, doing a lot of jujitsu competitions, like super early on after only like a couple weeks of, uh, of training in jujitsu, I like competed already and, and loved it, uh, from day one. So from Brazilian jujitsu competitions to, um, you know, mixed martial arts, I think it ended up being like, Let's see, I started in like 97, I maybe like five and a half years, six years, I had my first um, mixed martial arts fight. 
and you know one led to another and i think within like a year and a half of starting mixed martial arts i was uh, on the ultimate fighter <laughs> and uh, wow <laughs> and tried things out yeah so i was in the ufc uh, after like only like three or four professional fights and that's kind of how it all started i got my ass kicked in the fi- finale of the ultimate fighter and i was like i can't go out like this i i, I at first i kind of wanted to just try it and see how it would go and um, I, I just became this lifelong pursuit of trying to get better at something that was really difficult and it, it just became an obsession. We would be remiss if we did not, you mentioned because you're being a humble guy that you got your ass kicked, you were fighting 30 pounds above your 40 pounds, even above your weight class. So let, let's keep yeah. things in perspective on that. So <laughs> Thank you, you, yeah, you, of course, man. So you brought up, you brought up the tough house. Of course, I've had a lot of tough contestants on the show, dude. Uh, but Besides Chris Lieben, who was your cast member on uh, on season one, everybody else kind of had the benefit of being able to see the Ultimate Fighter on TV. They kind of knew what it was about. Mm-hmm. They kind of knew what to expect going into it. But you didn't have that luxury, dude. You went into it just completely unknown. It was an unknown thing. So I, there's got to be at least a couple of aspects that you think about when you like kind of reflect on that time that were like, oh, man, that was really fun. That was really cool. I'm glad I did that. And there's got to be at least one or two that you're like, that fucking sucked. I don't ever want to deal with that again. Can you kind of share a couple of those with us, a couple of good things, a couple of bad things that came out of that season one? Yeah, you know, we were really guinea pigs, man. Um, and yeah, I think that like we, we, we basically were experimented on, you know. Um, so we had to deal with a lot of things for the first time. Um, I think I was also I was also pretty ignorant about the whole process, to be honest, because it was so new to me where I kind of actually took it um, well. Like, I, I didn't expect a whole lot, and I just kind of saw it all as fun. Um, so I liked the whole process. I think the only thing I didn't love was just how long we had to be there. Like, now I think they only do the Ultimate Fighter for like a month, um, maybe a month and change. Uh, we were there for two whole months, and, and me getting to the uh, finals... Um, I actually had to stay in the house the whole time. Uh, back then, when they did it, when they did the show, if you lost, you were out of the show. Um, so you basically had to leave the house. Um, so right. that was kind of a little bit different back then. But I hated the challenges, like all those. Cha- <laughs> we did a lot of physical challenges yeah. back in the day. It was like it was like back in the day when um, you know Survivor and all this other stuff was popular. Uh, we were one of the you know early uh, reality shows back then, so we had to do a bunch of these silly challenges, which which I absolutely hated. I would have loved to just kind of fought instead, uh, but uh, yeah, that that's how that went, man. Yeah, dude, I I have the box set from Tough One, and I remember it was back in '06 was when we <laughs> yeah. you know when it came out, so it was a long time ago. So yeah, I remember the I remember the physical challenges and all that. That was amazing, um, dude. When you once you got into the UFC, you've got wins over names like Dean Thomas. Joe Daddy Stevenson, Roger Huerta, Clay Guida, the Fireball Kid, Takanori Gomi, Joe Lozon. I mean, this is an amazing resume when you look back on it. Is there a one fight that really stands out to you? Like, man, that was the that was a Ken flow that I wish everybody kind of remembered. Like, this was the performance that I hope that people kind of judge me by. You know what I'm saying? Oh, thanks, man. Yeah, you know, um, I was so critical of myself. I still am, but you know, I I think I was pretty proud of the Takanori Gomi fight just because, you know, he was the top 155 pounder for a long time. Uh, and I also think that like 
for me who was over in the UFC and for someone who came up really being a huge fan of pride, I always had, you know, wondered how I would do against the best pride fighters. And, and when Gomi was killing it over there and, and defeating, you know, uh, at least one of the Gracies that I looked up to in health Gracie, I really wanted to like fight him, you know, pretty bad. And I always thought I would fight him in Japan and how cool that would be. And it, it didn't end up being in Japan. It was in Charlotte, North Carolina, but it was still really cool. It was a main event. It was Gomi's first UFC fight. So that was like before, you know, people really knew how he was going to do or anything like that. You know, I think doing something for the first time is a little bit challenging. Um, I, I think that I was the first one to beat him in the UFC. Um, and to me, that was kind of a huge honor uh, to, to fight someone like Gomi and to do it in the UFC in a main event was was pretty awesome. Uh, a thousand percent, dude. That's funny you brought up you're a, you were a, a Pride fan because I, too, was a huge Pride fan even early on. And I remember an interview with you, and I don't remember the context of it, but I, just, I very vividly remember you being like, yeah. I'm such a Pride fanboy. And I remember, I remember <laughs> watching that being like, holy shit, Kenny, I'm a Pride fanboy, too. And so I just... <laughs> I That's awesome. remember that, dude. Yeah, it was so fucking cool. Um, so, yeah, moving forward from your career, from the fighter to the commentator to the color man to the broadcaster, UFC Tonight, bro. That was one of the most <laughs> underrated, most awesome, funnest shows that has ever been under the platform of mixed martial arts. I absolutely loved it. I, I, when I talked to a lot of my friends, they all loved it, too. You, DC, Karen, uh, when Bisping was on there, it was always so much fun. You guys seem to, like, genuinely be being like having a good time being yourselves you know enjoying the process talking to other fighters uh, i remember the challenge with the lemon juice that you did you know it was just a really really fun time like can you kind of reflect on a couple of your fun like memories of doing ufc tonight thanks man yeah no it we really we had a blast you know working with karen and and dc and bisping and all the guys who who would come on the show um i think we genuinely enjoyed uh doing it because we did a lot of fun things. We loved working with each other. It was a lot of us just kind of making fun of each other and having a good time and right. at the same time having the opportunity to break down fights and stuff. And, you know, it was cool that, you know, Fox uh, and Fuel before them, which was owned by Fox, gave uh, myself and uh, the other fighters the trust to go in there and host a show by ourselves. Like, you know, like typically you have – um, you know, the TV guy who's a non-fighter who, who runs the show essentially and, and kind of plays uh, quarterback and for them to kind of entrust myself and DC and, and other guys to um, run the show was was huge. And it, it was such a fun time, man. And because of that, I think we kind of ran it in our own way to a certain extent. And um yeah, we, it, it was awesome, man. Just having the opportunity to, you know, have one of Conor McGregor's like early interviews and, you know, to, to get, you know, all the, all the different dr dramatic things that happen in studio, you know, between fighters and, you know, all, all the funny times, all the laughs, you know, with DC and the boys, uh, Michael Bisping as well. Obviously we had a, a blast and, um, th those are definite memories that I will look, uh, back on, uh, fondly. It's one of those shows that really resonated with not just fight fans, but, but people got to see kind of behind the fourth wall, right? They got to see kind of 
you know, uh, somebody that we'd only seen fight or talking to kind of a very serious manner, really kind of let loose. And it was still, again, it was still in the context of MMA and of the UFC, but it was really a much more fun and lighthearted thing. So, yeah, I think that really resonated uh, with people. And I and I hope you look back on it with pride, man, because that was a fantastic you, show that you were an absolute cornerstone, a pillar of. So we hope something like that can uh, come back down the road. Uh, dude, so one thing I'm also kind of tying into the – uh, UFC tonight was you 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 brought up a soccer soccer fairly often right you were a big soccer fan I know yes uh, in your research you were you were a big soccer player growing up and when I had um I've had some other fighters on the show who were also soccer players growing up I really feel like this is a, I mean I played football dude if you saw me I'm a big heavyweight of course I played football but I really <laughs> it's a more I, masculine I, sport for sure well, I'll tell you that here's, I, here's will, the thing. I will definitely admit that <laughs> here's the thing. I think soccer very much translates to mixed martial arts and to combat sports in general. The footwork, the angling, the cardio, things like that. Yes. Do, do you kind of agree? Do you kind of feel like it's a great kind of feeder sport into MMA? It also is really good if you get injured, you could fake like you're injured in the octagon and then just steal wins, <laughs> which is really good. So it served me well. You know, I'd be like, oh, Marie, did you see that? That was an illegal trip. No, you can um, send all send all emails to Kenny Kempo Florian. <laughs> exactly. No, I I agree with you, man. I I think it was one of those things that people would, you know, if, if you didn't understand soccer, didn't see it too much, you you wouldn't uh, you wouldn't think there's a connection there. But there truly was for me. I mean, it it helped me so much, man. As far as even things like, you know, vision and seeing things coming coming and seeing things develop and. You know, having footwork, like which is huge. You know, everyone talks about, you know, the 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 power and 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 striking and you know standing and trading, but footwork is really the glue of all of striking. And I think that it, you know most people are are good with their hands, right? Um, but I think footwork is where some people kind of um, you know are, are a little bit lost on. And I think that that saved me from you know, taking a beating throughout my career. Sure. Um, so I think it, it helped me a lot, man. It absolutely. And I think, you know, that, and also like, you know, coming from another sport and doing it at, at a relatively high level, you know, in college, it, it taught you the importance of discipline, the importance of working every day. And also I think that in some ways I, I feel like I got by on natural talent for soccer in a lot of ways. And I think that as I, you know, perhaps didn't work as hard in the off season on, on certain aspects. I would see certain teammates or certain peers surpass me in that in that regard, and that really left an impact on me. That, hey, it doesn't matter if you are a quote unquote natural. You have to work at this every single day, and if you don't, your peers will surpass you. So when I had the opportunity to actually become an athlete again in mixed martial arts, I said. I'm never going to let that happen. In fact, I'm going to use this and I'm going to outwork everybody because I knew I didn't have time. I started mixed martial arts like, what, 28 years old, 27 years old, and I knew I didn't have a whole lot of time. I, I didn't have a whole lot of time with jiu-jitsu either. You know, so I got my black belt in like five years in jiu-jitsu. I was in the UFC after like a year and a half of doing mixed martial arts and I knew I had to learn as quickly as I could, and I wasn't going to waste any moment. So I trained really hard, and I tried to take the smartest approach I could, and um, n you know, not waste my time um, doing that sport. Absolutely, dude. Now you brought up a really interesting point. Um, 
as far as you know, bringing the work ethic from one sport to another. I also feel like to do at least the highest level of commentary and of analytical breakdowns of fights and fighters and cards and so on and so forth, there is that same work ethic that needs to be applied to to that part of the sport, right? There's a part that doesn't get talked about as much, but there's a for lot sure. of preparation, dude. Not just not just for doing color commentary, but for you know any sort of broadcasting. And then you have your Anik Florian podcast, of course. So you have to be up on everything all the time. So it takes a lot of work. It takes a lot of research. And it doesn't just because we fought, right, Kenny? Like you fought, like I said, we we started about yeah. the same time. We were retired, retired a little bit after you, but we have about a similar amount of fights together. It, it's different. You can't just fight and then become an analyst. It doesn't work like that. Like there is no a, question it takes about a, it. It, it takes a certain person who is not only willing to do the work as far as the you know the actual homework on everybody, but then be able to present it and articulate it in a certain way that everybody can kind of understand. Where do you feel like that came from for you? Um, do you? Were you always kind of an analytical mind as far as breaking fights down? Or did that kind of come on later after you had done it? Where did that kind of derive from, dude? Yeah, you know, it, it, it just has always fascinated me. You know, I, I think that um, once I started learning jujitsu, I realized, you know, it really was about problem solving. And uh, it, it, it was... One of those things where it became fascinating to me to problem solve and figure things out and find more efficient ways of doing things. I think that's what was so cool about martial arts and Brazilian jiu-jitsu of what intrigued me about what the Gracies were doing is they were they had a smarter approach in the beginning, but things adapt and things change. How do we continually adapt, evolve, and overcome? And, and that's the kind of stuff that was super intriguing to me. And to this day, like I still train Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu with those things in mind. I'm still trying to get better. I still feel like I don't have all the answers. I still feel like there's so much to learn and get better at. Um, and that's what kind of drives me um, every day. And, you know, like I I've been in the middle of a move and um, you know, a, a big life change with everything that's been going on. I haven't been able to train as much and it kills me when I'm not able to do that. If I'm not doing that, I am not satisfied physically, spiritually, mentally, all of those things. Um, so it's become a part of who I am. And, you know, we all are all naturally going to make mistakes. We're human. Um, and, so, and there's certainly times where I'm very hard on myself, maybe to a fault, but I'm always looking for ways for me to be a better human and a better dad and a better coach and a better martial artist and all those things. It's, it's just become a part of who I am. And, and it doesn't mean that I know better than anybody else. It's just I, I, I want to do things better. I want to do things more efficiently. Um, and sometimes it bothers me when I'm not able to do it. And um, it, it's a good way of. Uh, looking at yourself and 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 fixing your mistakes and all the stupid things that we we do um, over time. So um, yeah, it, it, it's it's been an amazing journey. That's amazing, dude. Now again, we talked about it a little bit earlier. I know you had um, a few fights on the regional scene up there in the Northeast, but for all intents and purposes, you were a UFC guy for a long time. Not yes. just not just your fight career, but the post fight career and and the commentary and the broadcasting. Now. You've got a whole new endeavor ahead of you, right? You are involved mm -hmm. with the Professional Fighters League, which can be seen on ESPN2 and ESPN Plus for the prelims. Um, 
it, it's a, it's a whole new world for you, dude. I know you're kind of synonymous with the UFC, but that's that's not the case anymore, right? You have this this newer kind of I'm not going to call them an upstart because they're established, but this mm-hmm. kind of new pro promotion, right? So yes. what is yes. what has kind of been what has kind of been some of the interesting challenges that have come about with being a part of uh, of, the, of the PFL? Yeah, you know, I, I think that um, it, it's a completely different format, right? So with the UFC, it's kind of they have their fight nights, and then, of course, they have their championship cards or their pay-per-view cards. Um, with the PFL, which is super interesting, is that, you know, every fight really does matter in that, you know, a loss here or a win here could change your trajectory completely. It's essentially you working through to, to gain as many points as possible. You get six points for winning in the first round, five points for winning in the second, um, and four points for winning in the third, or you get three points uh, if you win by decision. So the way that you win matters. So it incentivizes the fighters to go about it in in very strategic ways, which I think is cool. Um, And then you get zero points, of course, if you you lose. Right. Um, And you can even get negative points if you don't make weight. If you don't make weight, um, let's say you fail on the scale – you get a minus one. So it, 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 there's a bunch of kind of incentives to, to do what you're supposed to do as a professional fighter. Um, and the amount of points that you gain uh, brings you into the playoffs, right? It's a, similar to a lot of the leagues in basketball or football or whatever. Um, so the more points you gain, that's what gets you to the playoffs. And then from there, you're on your own. It, it's one and done type scenario until you become a champion. So I like that. Um you know that it, you're, the destiny is in the hands of the fighters. It's it, it takes the politics completely out of it, right? Right, uh, right. You know, right. it has nothing to do with whether you have Instagram followers or not, or you know whether you had a great fight here or there. It all comes down to how you win, and 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 um, I, I like that, and and I also like how they're really giving huge payouts uh, to the fighters, no matter what your level is. So I. I I, I, it's a very different format. It's very cool. You know, of course, it requires a lot of research, as you were mentioning. So a lot of some of these guys, I don't know who they are, um, and and a lot of the guys I do. But for some of the guys, you know, um, I have to go back and, and and get video on their fights and do research and figure out you know what their styles are and how they match up against people, uh, and, and that's awesome. And then you know, I, I had never worked in a three man booth before. I have Randy. I have Sean O'Connell that I'm working with, um, two guys that are just awesome dudes to work with who are super funny and know the sport inside and out. And um, having the opportunity to work with them uh, in a three-man booth is different, but it's been uh, it's been really fun. Yeah, dude, definitely. I know one thing, the only – and I really have enjoyed the PFL, uh, particularly in this format as it's been for the last couple of years. I know the only thing, and I, I think you're going to co-sign with me, dude, and you don't have to say – but for a man, a fighter like yourself, who was known for people filleting eyes with his Ginsu knife elbows, you'd like <laughs> to see elbows come back into, into play in the right. cage, man. I agree. I, I love I love the elbow aspects. I think you'd actually see more finishes as well. I think it's such a tremendous tool, whether on the feet or on the ground. Um, I, I, I assume it's probably one of those things that could um, – complicate things as they move throughout the season with cuts and different things like that. But uh, I, I'm an elbow guy. So I'll, yeah, I know that's what I'm saying. <laughs> yeah. I do. I can't. Yeah. That, that, that's, that's the only thing I got a, uh, a small beef with, but you're right there. I'm sure there's reasoning behind it. And I know when you have a multiple fight per season uh, format, that it probably lends itself to less eye damage or less 
you know, cuts that are going to reopen. So I kind of get where they're coming from. But, yeah, I'm an elbow right. guy, too. Because I could never elbow, dude. I was a pro boxer. We weren't allowed to elbow. So that was one right. Oh, my gosh. Imagine. Right. You could, <laughs> just not legally. <laughs> right. Um, yeah. I, that, I just, that's why I always loved about MMA was the things you're allowed to do that I couldn't do, right? So yes, the knees gotcha. and the elbows and things like that, they were always just fascinating to me that I loved. So, Kenny, we have careened our way into the 10th round, my man. You are in hey, the final round. Of round. I know. It goes it. by. It goes by like a flash. So basically, and this is the easiest one there is, dude. Can you basically just uh, get, share your socials, bro? How can we follow you on Twitter and Instagram and get you know keep on keep tabs on Kenny Florian and what he's he's talking about these days? My man, thank you. So um, on Instagram and Twitter at Kenny Florian, um, you can also check out my YouTube channel. I have a YouTube channel where I, I, I teach various techniques from jujitsu to striking uh, to ground and pound, all different things and. Um, I'm actually going to be releasing a, a, a jiu-jitsu instructional shortly uh, in the next month or so, uh, which I'm excited about and, and try to take more of a conceptual approach to teaching. And I try to break things break things down for people so it, it's palatable and, and they can understand it and and put it to work right away. So th- that's what I'm working on right now. And, and um, you can check out my website as well, KennyFlorian.com. And, uh, yeah, if you, if you like what you see on the YouTube channel, please share, subscribe and like, and all that stuff. And, um, that's it, man. Uh, I got, uh, you know, commentary duties for PFL next month and, and we'll be doing battle butts on discovery channel. Uh, I think later on this year as well. So just excited about everything that's going on. And, uh, Rhino, just a, a real pleasure to be on your show, man. Thanks for having me. Oh, Kenny, it was an absolute pleasure to have you on as well. Dude, lots of irons in the fire for Mr. Ken Flo, Kenny Floyd in the upcoming year. We are all stoked to check all of those things out. I've actually never seen BattleBots, so I'm really looking forward to checking that out. I mean, I've seen clips of it, but I'm definitely going <laughs> to hunker down and check on an episode. So, Thanks, brother. Dude, I can't tell you how much we appreciate you coming on, and we'll absolutely talk to you another time, sir. This is Kenny Florian, and I just went 10 rounds with Rhino. So when I got into this, there was lots of guys that I was like, man, it'd be cool to get. Oh, it'd be cool to get him. It'd be cool to get him. And absolutely on that wish list was Kenny Kenflo Florian. I have been a fan of his for forever, all the way back to Tough One. What an incredible, fun time talking to him. I mean, yeah, honestly, that's like that's a kind of like a bucket list guest. I'm so stoked to have him on. He was so honest and forthcoming. What a great talk. Man, awesome, awesome. Can't say enough good stuff about Kenny Florian. So thank you very much again, Kenflo. All right, so let's get into our shout-outs and our outros to our forum contributors, the Rage of Street Potato, Ty Fly Guy, my girl APB, the OG Jim Suit, my man Juice from the Friendly Sparring Pod, my another one of my Canadian homies, D. Kranz, of course, to Mike Morgan and Kairos from the Shots Fire Pod, my girl Brett, my boxing homie Marquise from Week Sauce Radio, all the homies in the Rhino Gang GC. Gang, gang. <laughs> Both the lovely Pamela's, Miss Fight Diva, the ladies of the PRG and Juice, Unmatched MMA Pod, Cyrus King, my homie Genghis Black, my girl Pokemama, my girl Ashley the MMA Nerd, of course, the Triple D, the future player, Andrea, the best engineer in the biz, D Reigns, Dave Fretz, the Einstein of graphic design, at Dave Fretz on Twitter and Instagram. Check his stuff out. I want to make sure we are all kind to each other this week, right? Huge upcoming weekend for from, for uh, some of the fighters for the Rhino Gang. We got Josh Freem fighting in the LFA. The girl, Chrissy Yandoli, fighting in Invicta. My homie, Janae Holopoy Harding, fighting in Bellator. And of course, 
Jared the Mountain Vander are fighting in the UFC. It's going to be a big Rhino Gang roundup next week. So let's be all be cool to each other this week. Let's enjoy our friends, our family. Be safe. Take care of yourselves. Black Lives Matter. And we will see you next week. Cage Side!